Once again, we'd like to welcome everyone into the house of the Lord this morning. Certainly, it's good to be back with uh, Hannah and the Reinhardt family. We were there with 35 other uh, believers from various churches in Israel. Thankful also to be here back unharmed and on time. But thank you for your prayers as well. Um, before we begin, are there any greetings or announcements to the church? Thank you, Brother Greg, Sister Nancy. Extended greetings. Anybody else? Sister Margaret Nagy, extended greetings. Thank you. She's re at home recovering. Thank you. Our daughter Hannah is in Kitchener visiting her friends and she extended greetings. Thank you, Sister Dorothy, Sister Savannah, and Sister Amelia in Ohio. I guess at the wedding or uh, a couple there, together with a few others of ours. Great greetings from my wife Bethany. She's uh, still a little bit under weather and jet lag, but she extends her greetings, hopes to be here if she can. Thank you. Greetings from Sister Bethany. Thank you. Extend our greetings. <coughs> if not, uh, any more announcements or greetings? Uh, we have a, a regular announcements. And uh, the first one being the focus of the month is the Nepo Museno Children's Home in Brazil. Um, that's in, I guess, northern Brazil, further north. CFG will be Life of Christ, continuation. Do we have anyone here? No, we don't know what the next chapter is. We'll, uh, we can put that out in announcements, perhaps. Lord willing, there'll be a Richmond Hill baptism on the 27th and 28th. That's uh, two weeks from today. Uh, the sister, um, there'll be Isabella Delich, who is the daughter of Brother Mikey Delich and Sister Diana, and also Jacob Frankovich, who is the youngest boy, I believe, and uh, they're both ready for baptism. So keep them in prayer. It'll be the 27th and the 28th. Testimonies start at 7 o'clock on the 27th of May. Toronto Congregation will be hosting the Area CFG on June the 3rd. And more announcements to come with that from the organizers. And we've received a few ACCF annual reports in the office. And uh, if anyone's really interested in that, We've only got about six there, so uh, they're in the, in the office, minister's office. Also, uh, I guess we've received emails concerning Brother Ivan Budimlik, who has had a heart attack and, uh, well, close to it. I'm not sure what it was, but triple bypass, is that correct? Please be in prayer for him. And there were complications that had to go back into surgery. So keep them in prayer and uh, keep each other in prayer also, uh, especially those that are sick in our congregation. 
If there are no more announcements, we'd like to invite the Lord in prayer. Loving Father in heaven, we thank thee for your goodness, your grace, for your mercy. We want to thank you for being our God. Where can we find direction in this confusing world? Where can we find guidance and comfort and strength and truth? But in thee, the living God, the source of all good, the source of all truth. We pray that you'd be with us in our midst. Be with those that could not be here, the sick, the shut-in, the isolated, those that are going through difficult trials in their lives. We pray that you would comfort and strengthen them, provide their each and every need. And now, Father, we pray that you would speak to us through your word. We pray that it would be an inspiration to us, an encouragement, uh, exhortation, and that your truth will be spoken. We ask these things to open our hearts to receive it, uh, mingled with faith and in meekness. We ask these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen. <clears throat> My mind is full of, of course, the last couple of weeks, um, experiences in, in Israel. So I'm sort of in a straight betwixt two or three passages, but based upon some of the experiences that really inspired me, I'd like to, with the Lord's help, turn to Psalm 122. 122. This is one of a series of psalms that is called the Songs of Decree. And there are 15 of them. And this will be very familiar to many of us as we have sung this psalm and as we have read this in times past. A song of decrees or degrees of David. I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. Our feet shall stand within thy gates, O Jerusalem. Jerusalem is builded as a city that is compact together. Whither the tribes go up, the tribes of the Lord, unto the testimony of Israel, to give thanks unto the name of the Lord. For there are set thrones of judgment, the thrones of the house of David. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. They shall prosper that love thee. Peace be within thy walls and prosperity within thy palaces. For my brethren and companions' sakes, I will now say, Peace be within thee. Because of the house of the Lord our God, I will seek thy good. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. Let's bow down, worship the Lord together. It is indeed 
a glorious privilege to be in your house together with those that love thee. Father, that we can enter into your very presence. And Father, we have seen the, the Jews at the Wailing Wall bemoaning the lack of your presence, the lack of access to the Holy of Holies. But Lord, we have been given that privilege through your Son, Jesus Christ, paid for at a high price, but available to each one of us, and we are so thankful that we are not barred, but welcomed into your presence. Father, we pray that you would speak to us through your living spirit that now is free to work in each and every heart that in the hearing of these words. And Father, even those that have chosen to lock and bar their doors of their heart, we pray that you would walk through the walls even as you did in your resurrected form. Lord, we pray for those who are dealing with illness. We think of Ivan Budimlich who went to visit his daughter and found himself in the hospital far away from home. And with complications, we pray that you'd be gracious and heal him, Father. And pray also for little Jacob uh, Weinhart, who's about to hear the results of his MRI, that, of that uh, cancer that really is only in your power to heal. Father, there are many and that, that uh, we are thinking of who are dealing with illness and who depend upon you for healing. Father, we lift them up to you and even for spiritual healing, those that we love that are not ready for eternity, which we have learned is can be so close. They're but a step uh, that our lives are hanging by a thread. And we thank you for the safety you've provided, but we know that one day we will be before those that judgment seat and we pray that all all would be ready and have trusted in the blood of Jesus Christ shed for them we pray this in Jesus name amen Though I had been to the land of Israel back in 1987, that was 36 years ago. I was 30 years old on the way back from a work assignment in Italy. Spent four days there, I rushed in, rushed out. Saw a few things, but didn't have enough time to absorb a lot of the history, a lot of the archeology, span and places that we did this time. And having done so, it sort of gives me better context as to how the psalmist could say things like, um, whether the tribes go up, the tribes of the Lord, they go up to Jerusalem. 
Jerusalem is a very hilly, very mountainous country. And when we look at distances and try to, like I used to before, get distances and times to places by the walk app or the car app or the, it's much different than that. Because climbing up a set of stairs, which would normally take me on flat ground probably three seconds, may take, you know, half a minute, depending upon how steep it is. Climbing up Mount Masada, Masada, we would step the last time I was there 36 years ago. Every 10 feet you had to stop and rest. It was so steep and hot. So it really gives a, a better appreciation for what the uh, disciples of Christ and Christ himself, how they got around from place to place, how they, what they saw when they got there. Um, as mentioned in a few weeks ago when I preached on Caesarea Philippi, I thought Caesarea Philippi was something like the lake, the, uh, the, the well where Jesus met the Samaritan woman. It was hot, flat, and dry. Yet Caesarea Philippi was luscious, mountainous. It was, this, it was the head, the, 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 the water head, if you will, of that would water the, the land of Israel, that would bring the water into the Lake of Galilee through the River Jordan and from there to various places in Israel to fertilize or to, to water and to irrigate the land. Luscious, green, lots of, lots of growths, vegetables, fruits, you name it, North Galilee. It was a completely different than I had expected. Now you could watch that on videos on, on the internet too, but it's nothing like experiencing it yourself. And making a believer of you that things were tough there to get around on foot, worn out sandals, uh, the dust, the heat itself. I think I lost six pounds. And I was eating well. We were all eating well. I'm not here to talk about our diets, or, but I do want to emphasize some of the things that really struck me. We had a tour guide who was a member of the IDF, Israeli, uh, Israeli Defense Forces. He was part of the 73 Yom Kippur War. He served in the Suez Canal there when Egypt attacked Israel from the south and Syria attacked Israel from the north over the Golan Heights. He was a young lad then. And he experienced the hardships. He experienced the threat of almost being choked and, and annihilated as a nation once again since the 67 war, the Six Day War. And as he led us through and he could tell us all about every single site that we went to from a Christian perspective as well. He was not a converted Christian. He was sort of an agnostic Jew himself, a secular Jew. But he could tell us everything 
about every place. He had to, he was a tour guide. And what we discovered too is most of, if not, I forget what portion of Israel is basically secular. They have some 20, 17 to 20%, whatever it was, of Orthodox Jews. And if I got the numbers wrong, forgive me. But there's not a lot of really God-fearing, religious, if you will, God-seeking Jews. And the real question is, how did it come to this? How did it come to this point in time? Israel was pushed, if you will, pulled through the, through the fire over centuries and centuries. And yet they were God's chosen people. And that's the sad part. They were God's chosen people in the book of Deuteronomy, in the, in the book of the Torah. God says, you didn't choose me, I chose you. I didn't choose you because you were the greatest nation on earth. You were the most numerous. As a matter of fact, you weren't, and, and you were the, 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 the most obedient. You were, as a matter of fact, you were rebellious. You were stubborn. But he chose the nation of Israel to make a name for himself through Israel. And that through Israel would come the Messiah. Just as Jesus had to come down in the flesh to manifest himself to mankind, to relate to mankind as a human being, Jesus Christ was the Son of God, God the Son, deity, part of the triune Godhead, and yet he became flesh so that he could identify with us and we could identify with him. And not only be an example for us how to live, but to actually become the sacrifice, the offering, so that we could be forgiven for our sins, the way back to God. And God chose Israel, his servant, that through Israel may be shown his glory, that through Israel may be fulfilled all the prophecies that would bring the Son of God, the Messiah, into this world, born of a virgin, without sin, and to become sin for us, as 2 Corinthians 5 says, that we could be made the righteousness of God in him. And as our tour guide, Aaron, showed us different, part, different parts of Israel and explained to us different things, there was a time I asked him, um, we were at the place, and again, the traditional place, there's a lot of places where as soon as they find a place where they think Christ may have been or performed this miracle or done this thing or an event occurred, uh, occurred, they would come from Europe and build a church there. This will mark the spot where this miracle occurred. 
or this event happened. And there'd be a church here and a church there and a church there, not necessarily exactly where the, the place was, but somewhere where the tourists could come, where the pilgrims, if you will, could come and know that this is where Jesus was. This is what Jesus did over here. And when we were at the Sea of Galilee, at the place where, I, I even forget what's at the, the, the place of the ascension, where, was that? The primacy of, of, the primacy of Peter, that's what they called it. Because at that time, um, when Jesus interrogated the, the apostles who were fishing after his resurrection, and he met them in a, in, in a place in Galilee. It was on the lake where Peter said, I go fishing. He says, children, do you have any fish? No, they couldn't catch any. He says, cast it on the other side. Cast your net on the other side. And they did that. And they brought in 153 fishes. And when that happened, they knew that they recognized him. That it, 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 It's the Lord. It is the Lord. Peter dived into the water and came out. And that's the place where Jesus asked Peter, Simon, lovest thou me? It's in the Gospel according to St. John. The last chapter. He said, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me more than these? And he said unto him, Yea, Lord, you know that I love you. He said unto him, Feed my lambs. And he said, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? He said unto him, Yea, Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. He said unto him, Feed my sheep. And he said unto him the third time, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, lovest thou me? And he said unto him, Lord, thou knowest all things. Thou knowest that I love thee. Jesus said unto him, feed my sheep. He says, when you were younger, you went where you wanted to go. You did what you wanted to do. But when you get older, you're going to go where you don't want to go. You're going to stretch forth your hands. And they're going to do what with you what you wouldn't want them to do, signifying his death. That was the primacy of Peter. <laughs> in other words, in, in the view, views of the church that they called that church the primacy, that's where Peter was appointed to be the primate, the, the, the primary um, leader of the church. When we know that he was one of the chief apostles, but we know that the structure of the church, as Christ left it was, and as he gave to the apostles to deal out later on was, was not there would be one chief ruler in the kingdom of Christ, but there would be elders and ministers and preachers and evangelists and so forth, Ephesians chapter 4 says. But at that point, when Aaron said this, the, the tour guide leader, this agnostic, if you will, secular Jew. I said, Aaron, 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 that's his spelling. I got enough courage to say, 
do you really believe what you're saying? You seem to be very convinced when you tell us all these things in Caesarea Philippi, how Peter received the, the vision of, the, of the, the animals coming down and Cornelius and all these other places. I said, do you really understand? Do you really believe what you're saying, what you're talking about? He said, well, I'll be honest with you. I've been a tour guide for over 30 years. Actually, it's closer to 40, but he said over 30 years. And he's been teaching these things, the same things, for over 30 years, close to 40 years. He said, I must admit that the things that Jesus talked about were very deep. And I feel I'm getting closer but I can't say that he's converted Christian. That tells me something. That tells me something that Romans 10, Romans 10 speaks about, and he's speaking specifically, the Apostle Paul is speaking specifically about his prayer and desire for Israel. Chapters 9, 10, and 11 of Romans. After he's Given the Romans road, how one comes to Christ from unbelief, from uh, being a sinner, from being part of the human race, from Adam's race. And he's justified not by works, but justified by faith in Jesus Christ. Faith in his blood, he says, that he will receive remission by faith in his blood. Just like Peter preached on the day of Pentecost. In chapter 5 and 6, talks about the born-again experience, the baptismal experience. In chapter 7, he talks about the, this, his, probably in a flashback, how he struggled with sin even though he was a, 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 a Pharisee. He was probably part of the Sanhedrin, and he knew the law better than most. And yet he, even though he knew the law, the only thing that the law of God of Moses could do for it, and, and it applies to other laws as well but the laws of Moses what they could do to him only is make him aware of his sinfulness it gave him no power to overcome the sin so he goes into chapter 8 of Romans and he talks about the spirit of God he talks about the spirit of God that we are no longer under the law and slaves to the law and slaves to the, to, to the works of the law and slaves to sin, but we are under the law, the spirit of life. Of, uh, of life. The gospel, the, the power of the Holy Spirit living in us and giving us power over sin, it is this Holy Spirit by which we are born again, by which we are regenerated, recreated, by which we are made alive, he says in Ephesians chapter 2. It is not something that we can learn how to do. It is not something that we can achieve through the flesh, but a complete surrender of our members. As he said, yield ye your members as instruments of righteousness. How do we do that? By submitting to the Holy Spirit. By not resisting the Holy Spirit's convictions and, and, and truths that 
fill your mind and heart as you read the Word of God. And in Romans 10, he says, Therefore he is convinced that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. And that's what I felt with Aaron. Keep, keep doing what you're doing. Keep telling the others the gospel. And he partly believes it. One day, we prayed for him there. We had a prayer meeting in the evening. We prayed for him that God would reveal to him and open his eyes to the truth that this, this pursuit by Israel, as we read in this chapter, to seek peace for Jerusalem, that we pray for the peace of Jerusalem that there would be peace within their walls and prosperity within their palaces. That they will finally come together with Aaron and others, even the, our bus driver, Hezi. That they will finally come to the knowledge of the truth. That they will not find the peace that they think is written in this chapter. It is not an absence of conflict from the Hezbollah or the Hamas or Iran. It is not that kind of peace. They don't, they don't bother us anymore and let us live the way we want to do in Israel without receiving missiles and rockets every few months or few weeks or being persecuted by other anti-Semitic countries. That's not the peace that we are to pray for. An absence of conflict. And when, we, when I think about that, that's how many Gentiles act too. Many that want to have a peaceful life, they just don't want to have any conflict. And they may turn to God in hopes that, that by turning to God their life will be peaceful. Because they see other Christians living peaceful lives. That's not the kind of peace that God is speaking about. The, the kind of peace that God is speaking about is a peace that passes all understanding. It passes all understanding. We cannot understand that peace. We may be going through all kinds of trials and difficulties and, and tribulations, but we have this deep down, deep-seated peace, this joy in the Lord Jesus Christ. Because... We trust that no matter what happens, all will be well. All will be well in the end. Like the hymn writer said, Spafford lost his four daughters in the Atlantic Ocean. And then he took a trip to see where they, where they sunk and he, they drowned. And upon him came this peace that he wrote the song when peace like a river attendeth my soul. We have it in our Zion's heart. We know that no matter what happens, we know the end will be good. And that's the, the truth that no matter whether you believe in God, you don't believe in God, every single one of us will go through trials and difficulties and, and heartaches and sadness, but we know who is guiding our boat, who is leading us.
So that's one thing that I took away from this trip because as, as much as Aaron was trying to say, for example, we went to Masada, the tabletop mountain, where 967 zealots fled from the Romans. Like Rome was, uh, Rome had already destroyed Jerusalem and, and completely knocked down the, the, the temple walls as Jesus had prophesied, not one stone will be left upon another. And we saw that. We saw that under, under Robinson's arch on the south, south the west wall junction. The arch was coming up there with a bridge coming up for the priest to go into the temple. And this big arch was built by Herod. And when the Romans had come, as Jesus had prophesied in the Gospels, they will come, Jerusalem will be surrounded by armies. And as the disciples were looking from the Mount of Olives and looking at the beaming white stones of the temple, how beautiful they were, Jesus said, Verily I say unto you that not one stone shall be left upon the other. And when the Jews asked him and said, show us a sign. If you claim to be who you are, what sign do you give us? He said, he said, destroy this body and in three days I will raise it up. And they thought, oh, he said, you destroy this temple. Oh, he said temple actually. The word that you use, destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up. That's what blasphemous words are these. But he was really speaking of his body. Destroy my body. And on the third day, it'll be raised up. So what I was getting from the, the kind of feedback that I'm getting that when he went up to Masada, and he was speaking about Masada. You know, Jerusalem was destroyed. Before that, Gamla was destroyed where 9,000 Jews were completely wiped out by the Romans. And now it's Masada. The steep walls of Masada. Where, as I said, you travel up 10 feet and you've got to rest. And they built ramps up. And when the, the zealots up there realize that they're finished because they built ramps and they're bringing up their engines and their catapults and they're going to break through the walls. And they made a pact. They weren't going to be delivered into the hands of the Romans. He's, and they said amongst themselves, we've got a choice of two, to be free or to be slaves. They said, we want to be free. And as many of you know, that meant they took their own lives. And ten men were chosen by lot with coins, with certain inscriptions that they would pick. These coins were found afterwards, baked in the fire, preserved. And they took their own lives. 
And the, 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 the whole response by Israel to all of this in modern day Israel is that is now the place where they swear in their IDF, their army, that Masada will never happen again. And I can see in the passion in his, in his voice That's sort of the, the, the vision that Israel has, that they will do everything within their own power, that Masada will never happen again. And whether it's to bomb any time someone sends a, a missile over, or whatever it may be, it will never happen again. And I remember Aaron saying, can you believe they found these coins of the last 10 that were assigned to finish off the job and then the last one took his own life. And it's there, it was found in the place and people still don't believe. He thought that was, I'm not sure what he was thinking. Did he really believe in God then? This was a sign, a miraculous sign. But then I responded to him, isn't that true, Aaron? See what Isaiah 53 says. It gives every single detail of the crucifixion of Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God who never opened his mouth. How he was taken from prison, how he was taken from, from <clears throat> the judgment. How he died for us. He was bruised by God. He was, God found pleasure in bruising his son. And all these prophecies line up. And I said, and people still don't believe in Jesus Christ. And you know what he said? He said, yes. I'm getting confused now. But what I'm saying is that the more they hear about the Word of God. Faith comes by hearing. And God requires us that we be the ones that be ambassadors of reconciliation to this world, 2 Corinthians 5 says. That we be the ones that deliver the message, whether it's at the workplace, at home, whether it's across the pulpit, Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. They shall prosper that love thee. Peace be within thy walls and prosperity within thy palaces. For my brethren and companions' sake, I will now say, peace be within thee. This is David praying. This is David's words as he penned these words. And apparently, these 15 Psalms were read every time they ascended the stairs coming up from the south to the southern wall. There's different um, commentators, different scholars 
The Mishnah says that these were, these were read, these 15 Psalms from 120 to 134 were read by the priests as they climbed up the semicircular steps in the, in the temple in the court of the, of the, of the priests. And other, and other uh, um, view is that these were read going up the southern steps. And there are 30 of them. One's a short step, the other one's a long step. So every time you take a step up these steps going up to the temple, you would recite these psalms and prepare yourself to enter the temple that Jesus taught at, that Jesus and his disciples gathered in and preached. And, and these were the things that really hit home that Jesus was actually very likely stepping on the steps that I am now stepping. Not that he is now maybe on this mountain or maybe on that, but this was, this was a, a temple that was built by Herod that was inhabited by the Jews then and that was frequented by the apostles and by Jesus Christ himself. It says on three or four occasions that Jesus was up in Solomon's porch, that Peter and the, the apostles were in Solomon's porch. There were three or four times in Acts and in the book of John that they were in this porch where they gathered together to meet, to, to talk. Jesus was here. And no matter how much proof, you know, the longer time goes on, the more they discover. We thought we were at the Pool of Siloam based upon the other documentations and research and discoveries. We actually went through Hezekiah's tunnel that was described in the book of um, Chronicles in Isaiah. Hezekiah's tunnel in Kings. I got proof. I bumped my head so many times that it began to bleed. It was so low. But we walked through the waters that were directed by Hezekiah so that the Assyrians could not lay siege on them and starve them to death or deprive them of water and, and, and win them beat them that way but recently they found Siloam Pool further south in 2004 and it was much bigger than expected and it was verified this was Siloam's Pool where Jesus sent the man that was blind and that Jesus healed by rubbing clay with spittle and anointing his eyes and saying, go to the pool of Siloam and wash your eyes. And he came back seeing. <coughs> now Jesus wept. Jesus didn't only weep at the, at the tomb of Lazarus. <coughs> Jesus wept when he came over the brow of Mount of Olives. <coughs> Excuse me. <coughs> he 
he wept when he saw Jerusalem because he knew that Jerusalem was going to happen there. He had foretold them three or four times he was going to die. But he wasn't crying for himself. He even told the women that followed him as, as he dragged the cross through the streets of Jerusalem. <clears throat> he says, women, daughters of <clears throat> Jerusalem, don't weep for me. Weep for yourselves. Weep for your children. In 23 chapter of Matthew, he says, after giving them all the things that will happen, all the judgments that will come upon the stubborn, rejecting Jews, he said, Verily I say unto you, all these things shall come upon this generation. O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, thou that killest the prophets and stonest them which are sent unto thee, how often would I have gathered thy children together, even as a hen gathereth her chickens under her wings, and ye would not. He said, Behold, your house is left unto you desolate. For I say unto you, ye shall not see me henceforth, till ye shall say, Blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. Jesus was not looking for a religious people. Jesus was not looking for someone that did their tithing and, 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 and fulfilled every single law in every possible way you could in, in fulfilling the, the Ten Commandments of, of God. That's not what he was looking for. He wasn't looking for someone that was able to keep the letter of the law, but not the spirit of the law. Someone that would wash his hands before he ate, but not have mercy and justice in his heart. That's why he preached the Sermon on the Mount. He preached the Sermon on the Mount of who, you, who we are to be on the inside. What kind of a heart are we to have? Are we to have the heart of God? Or are we to have the heart of men, carnal? And that's why he wept. Because he knew what was going to come upon them. Aaron told us another story. And I could see that this patriotism, this nationhood support, and, and I get it. But not letting Masada happen again doesn't solve the eternal question and the eternal problem. Will we have eternal everlasting peace or just avoidance of conflict? We went into the Holocaust Museum. And you'd go through, and as many as I've seen Holocaust documentaries and stories and interviews and testimonies, you still can't wrap your head around. Not just what Hitler did. But the, the complete evil 
in the human heart. The depth of depravity in the human heart, as Jeremiah said, the heart of man is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. He's, it, the, the other translation, it, it is sick. The human heart left to its own is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. It was a very moving account which I followed up with when I got home because it was so moving to me. There was a man by the name of Henrik Goldschmidt, I think in his Jewish name, but he was a poet, a writer, and he changed his name to Janusz Korczak. And he didn't know what to do with his life. He was thinking of going into writing or to medicine. And as he thought about that, he got himself into looking after children, orphans. He didn't want to get married because he had such a burden for the children. This is in Poland. And the more time he spent with them, the more attached he got to them. And it came time that as Europe changed and the Nazis got on the scene, Poland was absorbed by three different empires. Austro-Hungarian, the, the German and the Russian. Poland disappeared off the map, if you will. But he felt this need. He had visited orphanages in Israel, in England, different countries, Belgium was it, just to find out better how to take care of children. He and another woman by the name of Stefa they also wanted to keep the children. They ended up with having over 200 children. And then the ghettos came. They started putting ghettos up, locking in the poles. The older people knew what was going on and they begged Janusz to leave before it's too late. And he refused. He had charges. He called them charges. He had a charge over these little children. He had before brought in big cuts of potatoes to feed the children. The Nazis stopped them. You can't bring that in anymore. Children were perishing on the streets. Hunger, typhus. He got stopped once and said, what are you doing? What are you, you're a doctor, you're a, how do you become a doctor and you're here with these little children? Why are you with them? 
He said, I'm Jewish. When they found that out, he was stuck in the camp too, in the ghetto. And then along came the cattle cars. After many, the US Embassy or whoever representative there were willing to take him out, he refused. They said, why are you refusing to leave? You have a chance. He says a father does not abandon his children. So they took him away to Treblinka, holding little hands. And he died with them. I'm so glad. When we went to the, into the children's section of the Holocaust Museum, you see these little stars in the sky. I was so glad that Jesus said, let the children come unto me, for of such is the kingdom of heaven. Why did this all happen? Why did this all happen? Why has Israel persisted of going down the road when they cried out to Pilate, his blood be on our own heads? Pilate was going to let him go. Crucify him. His blood be on our heads and on our heads of our children. I think we need to, number one, recognize that nothing happens without God allowing it to happen. Number two, God will do justly as a judge of the whole world. And number three, are we going to be like the Jews who rejected the Messiah? having all the information, being told, having read it as, as children ourselves, having been taught in Sunday schools, having been taught in, from the pulpit, having read the Bible ourselves, and just push it aside because we think it's not going to happen to me. One takeaway, one more takeaway when I considered the whole trip and we, we got very supportive of Jerusalem, praying for the peace of Jerusalem but what we should not be praying for is everything that they pray for their intention is to bring up a new temple to raise the temple again.
to rebuild the temple again. What does that mean? What does that mean if the temple is rebuilt again? It means that they will continue offering sacrifices for the forgiveness of their sins. And in doing so, they rejected the Messiah again. When it talks about the peace of Jerusalem, we don't support everything they do. But we pray that they will come to know the real Messiah, like the Apostle Paul says in Romans chapter 10, to begin with. And he says the same thing in chapter 9, similar. Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. For I bear them that they have a record that a zeal of God, but not according to knowledge. For they being ignorant of God's righteousness and going about to establish their own righteousness have not submitted themselves unto the righteousness of God. For Christ is the end of the law. The whole purpose of the law was to bring them to a conviction of sin and recognition that they cannot be saved without Christ, without the Holy Spirit. Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone that believeth. Our prayer should be not that we support them in their physical endeavors, but that they would turn to Christ, the Messiah. That's my prayer for all of us. To him be the glory evermore. Amen. My brother, find him, please. Is that number three? Hymn number three from the Zion's Home.
Let us kneel to pray. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, we've <clears throat> heard through the psalmist that you're a choosing God, dear Father, that you've chose David and not Saul. You chose Jerusalem and not Jericho. You chose this mountain and not the other, dear Father, and you've chosen the people of Israel in their time, dear Father, to be a light unto the world, but not for their own sake, so that they could be comfortable and to be an isolated group of people, dear Father, that can go on with their lives, keeping the word to themselves, dear Father, and reaping the benefits of your grace and your mercy, dear Father. But it's for the whole world. We, we take this message, dear Father, to be talking and speaking to each one of us individually, to our own hearts, dear Father, that those baptized Christians in this world that you chose not for their own sake, dear Father, but for the rest of the world, that they may hear through each of us as a light unto the world, dear Father, as to be your voice here down and to spread this word, dear Father, not to keep it once again to ourselves, that what you've given us is so precious and so so beautiful that we cannot keep this to ourselves, dear Father. Any message from you kept to ourselves only dies within ourselves. We thank you again, dear Father, that the message got out so 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 deep and so affecting to those that have heard it dear father that we have to now make a conversation with ourselves that we have to take this word out on our own and be the israel and be the chosen ones dear father to spread this word and not keep it to ourselves these words are, are begging to be to be proclaimed all over the world we thank you dear father for the short message a powerful message and a short psalm once again you've packed so much into it we thank you for for it, we thank you for this day, dear Father. Let us take it out and not keep quiet about it. We thank you for this day, dear Father, for the blessings we've received this week, those we've seen and those we haven't, dear Father, as we continue to pray for those who are grieving, those who are lost, those who are blind, that they may see the light of this word, dear Father, and know that what we have here on earth is nothing compared to what you have for us waiting for in heaven. We thank you for this day, dear Father. Be with us and our loved ones as we continue through it and look forward to the week ahead. In Jesus' name, amen. Brother Paul, you're concluding him, please. One or two, first, second, and fourth.
It was indeed sad to stay in there, the western wall, and the lady's side, the women just bowing their heads against the wall, weeping into their handkerchiefs, the, the men demonstrating the grief almost violently as they were expressing their grief that the temple is not there, the, the, their connection with God is broken. And there's such devotion, and yet perhaps it's tempting for us to, to say, well, you, you've missed the boat. Uh, you, you, you didn't see the clear scripture spelt out that the Messiah has come. Um, there's a scripture here that, that, that warns me against a certain arrogance, against a certain despising of these people who are my spiritual roots that says that in Isaiah, in, in Romans 11 here, it tells about how, how they are the natural olive tree in that uh, the branches were broken off because they didn't believe. And, and I I'm, don't naturally deserve this inheritance, but I've been grafted in as, as, a, as a wild olive tree, and I'm partaking of this root, but I dare not boast against these branches. I dare not say, oh, they were broken off so that I have the right to be grafted in. It's because of unbelief they were broken off, and I'm merely here by faith, and I dare not be high-minded but fear. Behold the goodness and severity of God on them, those Jews that fell severity, but on us, his goodness. My dear friends, you have been given this privilege that you are not cut off from the grace of God. The Jewish people have been set aside. They have been enduring this grief so that the time of Gentiles might be extended so that you might enter in. We dare not despise this opportunity paid for at such a high price because we also the severity of God will we deserve that same severity we have this privilege as apostolic Christians that we have a heritage that we have heard the truth preached from this pulpit but we dare not despise this connection to life and think there is something better out there. This is something precious, and if we despise it, we have seen the severity of God on even the Jewish race. We are no inherently, we're not inherently better. We are just right now recipients of his grace, and we need to take advantage of that and participate in his goodness while, while the opportunity is here. With that, we conclude this morning's service, and we'd like to invite everyone to stay uh, for a special dinner we have made in preparation for um, our, our wonderful mothers.
the young people made a dinner for them. So everyone's welcome to come downstairs and enjoy that.